spin. Where did you dig up that old fossil? Going to Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. That's no moon. We're all fine here now, thank you. How are you? Welcome to the Star Wars Nerds Podcast. I'm Dan Vatabonker. And I'm Kenton Larson. Happy 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back, Kenton. And a happy 40th to you, too. I'm, I'm wearing, as I said, I've got a baseball style. See, it's a baseball style, three-quarter sleeve, embarrassing to wear shirt with Empire Strikes Why Back. Why is it embarrassing to wear? It's, it's, it's the colors, the, the, all of it calls attention to itself in a way that when you're in public, you don't necessarily want. Is it, a, is it an old shirt? It is, is it vintage? It's No, it's retro, but I picked it up. In a way, it's vintage because I think I got it 10 years ago. But okay. it's embarrassing. It's, it's, it's loud, and when I wear it, people tend to go, hey, Star Wars. You know, like, hey, all right. Like, you get, <laughs> like it's not just like, it's not faded. Like, it's just bright, and people want to yeah. see something. <laughs> Um, and I noticed today you posted on Twitter that uh, you, you said happy anniversary, or maybe this is on the Star Wars account that you t- you on Instagram where you talked about. I did it both. I did it on both. So you showed that you have you, you talked about when you went to see The Empire Strikes Back forty years ago, and you have both your ticket stubs for the first two times you saw the movie in Boston, and a program. There was a program for the premiere because it was a big, <laughs> big interesting. Event. With, what was in the program? Uh, it's got uh, it just basically says. Uh, adults had to pay fifteen dollars. I went by myself. I went. To, I was a kid. Adults. It was a it was, fifteen bucks in nineteen eighty. My my ticket was two dollars. If you can believe it, I'm on my ticket stuff. Well, I believe that. Yeah. So parents had to. If adults came, they had to pay fifteen bucks, and it was tax deductible. It was like a fundraiser. And, oh, okay. Uh, it says a champagne and apple cider reception, which uh, I don't recall. It. I don't recall. I don't. I don't. I think I missed it. Or, or it's just a little. It was probably just a little table with. You were lot. too devastated by the news at the end of the movie. You were too like blown away by the conclusion of the film. You're like, who the hell wants to drink apple cider right now? Right. I can't deal with this at a time like this. <laughs> so yeah. So and 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 it's funny today. Just pure coincidence. I came across. This was when I was living. I lived in Boston for two years with my parents, and I came across some notes that my dad kept about that experience. And uh, so when it was when we moved all back home, he said, uh, "Here's what we liked the most about the trip: three of us, being my mom, my dad, and my sister, say Harvard Square is the greatest part of the trip. Was being close to Harvard Square." Kenton says, "Empire Strikes Back." <laughs> <laughs> it says That's in his right. notes. <laughs> so like, and it wouldn't it wouldn't have mattered where you were living the best part of your life that time would have been empire Strikes Back. that's right it didn't it's matter <laughs> <laughs> harvard square i hear harvard square is very nice so all three three out of four people like it <laughs> um now of course i did also see this movie in the theater this was this would have been the first star wars movie that i saw in the theater i was four years old Amazing. at the time i have very very vague memories of it i just for some reason the dagobah scenes stick out as like that's what i remember the most out of that film um i do also remember being confused about a lot of the technology that was kind of introduced at the time like again this is my first star wars movie so i didn't know about droids necessarily i didn't know i see any of the other stuff i had not seen the other movie the first movie um how old were you i was four so oh, yeah. what I remember is the the part where they're in on Hoth. I remember like them looking through the binoculars and seeing those big legs of the walkers and not understanding how big those things were, the scale of it. And then I remember uh, the part where R2D2 goes into the water on Dagobah, and then he pops up his little periscope, right, to look around. I thought in my four year old mind, I thought that he'd been eaten. <laughs> That his body had disappeared, and that's all that was left with the little thing sticking out. So I didn't understand the idea of a periscope at the time either. But um, but I, it was again, it was a phenomenon, right? It was Star Wars. Everybody was so excited about it, and it is widely regarded as the best Star Wars movie. I don't. You're gonna. It's very very difficult to find somebody who doesn't feel that that's. I mean, it may not be your favorite, but arguably it is the best in as far as quality of cinematics and and story in every aspect. In the way it advanced the story. In particular, I saw uh, Anthony J- Daniels changed his mind the other day and said, Empire Strikes Back is the best. 
What was his other? What, what was his answer before that? He liked a new hope better, and he said somebody had talked him out of it, and he believed it now that Empire Strikes Back was better. And I think, and I would say, I watched Star Wars: A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back in a row a couple weeks ago. And what I love about Empire Strikes Back, I like. I still like A New Hope will always be my favorite. But what I liked about what I think the best about Empire Strikes Back is the way it advances the story and the color palette is gorgeous. There's something about yeah. it. Yeah. I remember I think that I remember the first time I actually watched it on HD and on like on a on a no it was a was a Blu-ray it was a, it was a DVD but I was watching it on an HD TV as opposed to just a regular TV that we used to have and just that whole Hoth sequence just strikes me as holy crap that looks amazing. Like it just all looks so cool and the differences between Hoth, Dagobah, Cloud City, like each setting has a very specific color palette and they're all different from each other. And I really, really enjoy that. Even the, my favorite scene for years and years, my favorite scene from Empire has been the asteroid chase. Um, not only because of the amazing special effects of seeing those ships weave in and out of those asteroids, but the music is amazing. It's always been my favorite theme from Star Wars is that da, 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 and it just kind of goes. And then the whole part with the space slug and them kind of flying out of it at the end. That was just a very, very cool sequence. So that's probably, it probably remains my favorite part of the film is just that whole asteroid. I like that they um, split up the heroes. They split Luke away from Han and Leia. Um, you have the great kind of Han and Leia romance developing, which is something we never saw coming. I don't think anybody, again, at the time, we didn't know that Leia and Luke were brother and sister. So we thought that was going to be their romance, right? We thought they were going to be Luke and Leia. And there was a bit of a hint of that at the beginning because she kisses Luke, gross, but she kisses Luke instead of Han to make him jealous. And uh, we're like, oh, there's still going to be a love triangle there. But then very quickly, it turns out, no, it's, it's Han and Leia. At the end, by the end of that movie, it's Han and Leia, and there's no question. So I think that was a very interesting way to go. Yeah, and I remember, uh, I think it was my sister saw a commercial for Empire Strikes Back, and she came running into my room, because you couldn't record it back then. <laughs> Come running in. I just saw a commercial for it, and she goes, and you'll never believe it, Luke and Leah get married. <laughs> what? And I was like, what? That's what I said. I was like, what did you see? And I, it had to have been in the preview. They must have shown them kissing. Uh, like kissing. Okay. They must have cut because they knew it was deceptive. Right. Same thing that you do now. They, they show now. Now, of course, they shoot things that are not in the movie for the trailer. They didn't do that back then. But they'll show things to mislead you into thinking one thing when it's actually the other thing. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So look, that was the takeaway, and that is what everybody expected going in. And I and I also remember seeing on the front, like the leaks. There weren't leaks, but the things that they released were all in Starlog magazine, and that was the first stormtrooper. It was the snowtrooper was on the cover of Starlog magazine with the, his face covered. Right. So it was like a different trooper design. That was the beginning of that. Yes. And it's never ended. Ten thousand troopers. Yeah. 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 It's just a, it's a very cool. And again, I do, I do appreciate all the aspects of it. It is probably technically the better movie, but I still have a soft spot for return of the Jedi because of some the same reason why a new hope is your favorite is because that's the first one you saw. That's the one you have strongest memories of. And I do have the strongest memories of seeing return of the Jedi in theaters. Um, I saw that one more than once in the theater. I'm pretty sure I only saw empire once in the theater when it came out. Um, but, um, but I don't really, like I said, I don't really remember it. But uh, it's just it's just such an amazing overall film, uh, and it's very very difficult to top. And I think I mean obviously it was a I don't know that it was a better experience for George Lucas, was it? I don't know. You might you've read more about the behind the scenes stuff. He certainly learned from his mistakes, right? Yeah, Irvin uh, Kirshner directed Empire Strikes Back, right? With under the tutelage of uh, George Lucas, who had who who had the mythology, but I guess right. George was like a co-director of sorts on the uh, show, but I know a lot of the stuff, like if you go to that, to Rinsler's making of book on Empire Strikes Back, there's a lot of stuff like uh, that, that uh, Kirshner and Harrison Ford improved on the set and stuff. There's a lot of that stuff sort of floating around. So I think, and, and that's I something think, that that's something that George Lucas wouldn't normally have done, right? Like he was not great at that kind of stuff. There was more of that. And it also looks like, Kirshner was extremely um, obsessed with the detail-oriented stuff. Like, the, this needs to happen and that. And we need to explain this, and we need to explain that. And why would this happen, and why would that happen? 
like far more detail oriented than like some of the subsequent movies, like we're picking apart the rise of Skywalker for that very reason. Where it was like J.J. Abrams doesn't seem like a guy who's obsessed with little fine details, or if he is, they're not the same ones the audience is obsessed with. Whereas Kirshner seemed to really have like a, a a vision of his own for within the Star Wars universe, and even uh, you mentioned the part about uh, you thought R two D two had been eaten. Well, that scene in the tree blue kids minds they didn't know what to make of that, that and and uh, that's that's like a david lynch scene out of a movie or something <laughs> it's so weird like you're you're asking kids to basically understand the metaphor of the tree right and, and that it's not real life and that it's a vision right like you 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 don't understand that certainly I did not understand that when i was four um and uh yeah that that was a really it was a kind of our first surreal moment in star wars our first not actual real life thing i guess that was the first force force vision that we saw i guess we didn't know what it, what it was called back then oh no he had one he saw ben kenobi on uh hoth does that count that's a ghost though right yeah yeah so that's, that a, for, that's a force, a vision, that's a force ghost i don't know that a force ghost is a vision is I it think Luke's that's a vision different... or is it the does the ghost appear to you or is it your vision that allows you to see the ghost I think we're opening a can of worms here that we don't want to go into. I think that um, my feeling is that when a force ghost appears, they appear to you uh, deliberately, and it's not part of a force vision. Whereas a force vision is something you have when you're like right into it. And Luke has some. Like we we see him later on when he's trading. We see him have the vision of his friends in pain, like because that's why they're torturing Han right on on Cloud City to get Luke to come. And so we know he has it, but we don't see it as the audience. The only one we see as the audience is the one where he goes into the tree and um, and encounters Darth Vader and then himself under the mask of Darth Vader, right? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I would, I would, yeah, it just blew me away. And, of course, the big reveal at the end where, you know, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. We, you know, nobody always expected that. You didn't believe it, you told me. You said you thought it was a lie. So did James Earl Jones. Jones. Yeah. yeah, that's right. He's, he's lying. And the same thing happens in in um, in uh, the Last Jedi when when uh, Kylo Ren says your parents were nobodies, right? It turned out that was kind of a lie, I guess. Yeah, it um, was. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just interesting to me that uh, they decided to go that route. Um, certainly, it was a big bombshell. And ever since then, Star Wars films have been trying to drop big bombshells like that. Maybe not so much Return of the Jedi, although Return of the Jedi did reveal that Leia was Luke's sister. Um, but that was not as big of a bombshell, I don't think, as as you know Vader being their father. But after that, every new film that's come out has tried to like reveal like, oh my God, this is what this is, and and that kind of thing. And I don't know that we really needed that this whole time. It was great in Empire Strikes Back. Doesn't work as well in all the other films. Yeah, you have to use it sparingly. Yeah, otherwise we come to expect the unexpected, right? Right. The other thing I was thinking about is when you really get back to Empire Strikes Back, you go, that's the film that introduces us to Boba Fett, to Yoda, uh, okay. to Lando, <laughs> to Lobot. <Yeah. laughs> Lobot. To Ugnaughts. You hold Lobot in high esteem to Ugnaughts, yes. Ugnaughts, Wampas, Tauntauns, like the stuff that's There's a in lot there in there. And it's on the money. Like there, there is really, I'm trying to think of, of, I don't think there's anything where they took a chance and it didn't work. And there's a lot of In chances. that film, yeah, yeah, you're right. And in, certainly in the first film, there are, are examples of stuff, stuff that didn't work as well. And in Return of the Jedi as well. Um, not that all three of those original films have a good, um, good aliens and good settings and stuff but yeah certainly it seems to work better in in empire than it does in the other two original films um i would i would i was again this is something i did on the internet one of our one of my friends on another star wars fan on facebook said happy 40th anniversary and he posted he's a collector as well like you so he's got the black figures he's like happy 40th anniversary to empire strikes back the film that introduces to these characters and he shows boba fett and lando in the black series and in, in the boxes which i'm sure you have as well yeah. um and and uh and then i had to be like uh well actually and i did that kind of a thing where uh, boba fett was actually introduced in the holiday special let's let's uh be honest about that and he was in that cartoon in the holiday special first then but i'm sure obviously they'd already they were already writing empire strikes back at that point when that holiday special came out so he already had the character kind of worked out 
but as far as the visual of Boba Fett, which really was the whole selling point to that character, like we didn't know anything about him. All we knew about was how he looked, and he looked super cool. And that's all we can. And then he has a couple, like two or three lines in the movie, and that's it. He's the guy that lets Darth Vader know that they're on Cloud City. He takes the Han at the end, and that's it. But we just love that character so much just because of the way he looked. Really, that was it. Yeah. Really, that was it. And, and when we, and the other bounty hunters, not to mention when we see him yes. with the other, and who did nothing, really. The other bounty no. hunters just stood there. Uh, but well, they, they so pr- cool. presumably they also went off. To uh, like, basically, they were all fooled by the garbage uh, tactic uh, that Han did, and and then Boba Fett was the only one who was smart enough to wait around to see if he was going to do that, and then follow him from there. So that was really the, you know, good on Boba for for uh, <laughs> for anticipating that move. Um, I do want to get to the. We'll, just, we'll talk about the Boba Fett casting in a second, as far as uh, Mandalorian is concerned. But just let's finish up some thoughts on on uh, Return, or Empire Strikes Back. Um, and I'm going to watch it tonight. I Again, I haven't seen it in quite a while, but I will watch it tonight as a kind of a celebration of the anniversary and uh, maybe tweet some thoughts or something like that. I don't know what I'll do, but I, it's certainly I do want to watch it. Um, it did... Uh, it was just kind of... I don't know. What else? Do you have any final thoughts on, on Empire Strikes Back? Well, we mentioned John Williams' soundtrack, and I think it is his best one. I think it's his best work when you play that soundtrack. Yeah. It's solid. And you have that on vinyl, correct? I have it on vinyl. I also have it on CD, of course. But uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, the vinyl one, I remember, actually had spoilers in the inside. It came out before the movie. So I was well spoiled going in. Oh, and so you knew Darth Vader was his father? I didn't believe it. I knew it. Okay. I knew that he said that. Okay. But I had read the novel. Before that, before uh, yeah, the of movie. course. So, so course. I, well, and then I went to see it, and I was like, "What?" I couldn't understand why people in the theater were freaking out because I thought, like, that's nothing. That's who cares? Like, he's just he'd say anything. Like, that's what I thought. I thought he'd say anything <laughs> right now. There was actually I saw this video on YouTube recently. You probably could find it if you searched it. It says audience reaction for Empire Strikes Back, and it somehow I don't know what this was a video cam or some something somebody had in the theater. Uh, maybe it was a test screening or something, but they had that moment when he reveals that he's Luke's father, and you hear the gasps coming from the audience, like "Oh my god!" Like they couldn't believe it. So just such a such a crazy moment. I also remember from the first screening, people really cheering for the characters when they oh. saw them, like being right, like Luke is on the Tauntaun, he takes off the the goggles, and the place goes berserk. Everybody cheer, yay! And then Darth Vader shows up, boo! And like there's like there there's a lot of like a uh, lot of audience reaction on that first. That's cool. Screening, yeah, more more. Like I yeah, I remember people applauding when the Death Star got blown up in Star Wars, uh, but I don't recall people going so crazy for each character like it was for, with Empire. Well, because they were like it had been three years since they'd seen anything new right it was the first new content in in three years so they were very excited to see these characters up on the screen again so that's excellent yeah not not so much none of that really happened with the prequels because it was all new characters and and uh new situations so we didn't really get that um i just remember people cheering when the whole lucasfilm logo came up when i saw like for the phantom menace and that was pretty much all i remember same thing with with uh, force awakens of course whenever you've been through a big long drought which i guess we're never going to see again <laughs> um but uh, whenever you go through a long period of time without seeing something new, you get excited when you when you see something, right? I'm gonna watch it tonight, and uh, if anything else occurs to me about it, I'll bring it up next week on the podcast. But I, I again, it is a fun movie. Um, so many cool ideas coming out of that film, and great characters, great even like the technology of like, oh, they give him his hand back at the end when they're like, you know. They give him an artificial hand. It looks just like a real hand. I'm like, what the hell? I've never seen anything like that before in TV or movies, right? The that end- kind of stuff. The ending that's not an ending. Right. Yeah, there's no what? What are you talking about? They have to go beat Darth Vader now. <laughs> uh, I saw Empire many times in the theater. I lost count. I saw it so many times. And the by far, the resounding thing that would happen at the end is some guy would be like, I thought they were going to go get Han Solo. Like, I was I was in. I was ready. <laughs> I thought... I, she was like, I thought the movie was just getting going. Yeah, two hours in, and like, okay, time for the third act. That happened many times. 
Yeah. No, you got to with that. And again, that was the. Um, and I guess, I guess that was because Lucas knew that he was going to get a third film for sure. He didn't know that when he was making the first Star Wars. Um, so it's not as much of a cliffhanger as the second one was. Um, because he really did, like, he did initially model these after the Flash Gordon serials, which were very, very much cliffhanger every week. Flash was put into a situation that he don't know how he's going to get out of it, and he had to come back to the theater the next week to see uh, the next episode or whatever. So he did want to do that, I think. Probably he wanted to do that for the first one, but he just wasn't able to because he didn't. He might be the only movie they ever make out of these. But once they had, and I mean, once he had his own money, that's the other thing is that this one was made with his own money. He, he like, financed that himself. He didn't need to rely on Fox or anybody else. He'd already made enough money from the first Star Wars movie to kind of set, set himself up with Lucasfilm and then go from there. And uh, so he really did have complete creative control over it. I would also, I would also say about Empire, if, we, if, if Star Wars wouldn't have been successful, we would have had Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Yes, that's right, yes. And, and that's, oh, what, yeah. that's what the sequel would have been. It was a low budget version, so they could shoot it, right, and get it and get another movie in theaters. But it would have been much, much lower. But it would all have taken place on the one planet. I think that's what happens in that, right? Yeah, written by Alan remember. Dean Foster. Yeah, and there's and, there's definitely romantic romantic uh, stuff between Luke and Leia in that book. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's crazy. That could have been Empire Strikes Back. It would have been a totally different uh, future for Star Wars had they but, gone in that direction. Yeah, that's true. But I think that at that point, the uh, the directions are you change. If Star Wars is not a success, then everything changes, right? I mean, it just changes everything about entertainment in general. But if that movie doesn't do well in the box office, then sure, they make a second one. Probably doesn't do as well because it's not even close to as impressive as the first one. And then it dies there. And then we, we someone re- brings it back like 20 years later. Anyway. And how about Jaws 2? Remember Jaws 2, the big piece <laughs> yeah. of crap? Where, oh, yeah. Actually, in retrospect, Jaws 2 was one of the stronger entries as it turns out. Oh, my out God. Jaws, you... Jaws 3 is the one that's really the big piece of shit. I think uh, oh, I actually prefer terrible. I prefer Jaws the Revenge to Jaws 3D. Is I guess Jaws it was called Revenge, 3D. Jaws the Revenge is the one where, the Jaws, where Jaws chases them across yes, the continent. Yes, the mother comes back to get revenge for her lost children. Oh, the mother goes The mother back. shark. The mother oh. shark. But the mother as well, the mother of like the the wife of um, the sheriff in the first film, uh, also is getting revenge on the shark. But the shark is getting revenge on her because her family—it's <laughs> really in depth. And Michael Caine is there, and he it's is. you know oh, that's part better. three, isn't it? No, that was part four. Part four. Was it? Part three oh was God, three. Part three was three D. That's the one that happens with Dennis Quaid. I just watched these recently, like a couple years ago. Dennis Quaid at the um, the uh, ac- um, what's it called aquarium? It's like an aquarium, like Sea World kind of a thing. And they have the sharks. They have the part where the shark crashes through the window, and then the window flies out. It was in three D, so the window would fly out at the at, at you through the screen, and it was so bad. It looked horrible. It was the effects were awful compared to the first film. Anyway, that's a tangent about <laughs> Jaws. But yeah, like to have, and again, uh, this is another thing is that back then, this is a good uh, point to kind of end on, when sequels came out, they were not seen as being as good as the original, right? Like there was one exception, maybe The Godfather is the one exception at the time where the sequel was as good as, if not better than the original, but all other sequels to any other movie, a sequel is seen as a, you know, cheap kind of, get, let's make some more money out of this. It was, the idea of like a franchise or a series of films like we have now or a cinematic universe just wasn't really viewed very very kindly and and so like the idea of the empire strikes back being better than the first star wars which many people believe it is that was kind of another mind-blowing aspect to it star wars could have gone the jaws route could have happened (laughs) kind of terrible that would have been yeah you're right exactly that's what that would have been for sure it's interesting that, um, and the thing about just kind of staying on, I don't know why I'm still on the Jaws thing, but you think about the joke that they made in Back to the Future Part 2 where they had Jaws 16 or something like that, and it's a 3D shark coming out of the theater. They never did make any more Jaws movies after 4. <laughs> they stopped at 4, and that was it. So. But then they made a piece of shit called Deep Blue Sea, which was as far Oh, I like Deep Blue Sea. I, oh. I'll take exception to that. I actually like that movie. It's awful. No, and, it's hey, let's call that Jaws 5. <laughs> No, it's not the same. It's not the same. They're super smart sharks. They're genetically modified. LL Cool J's in it. 
and he's got to make he's it's great and sam jackson gets eaten really well like it's a great scene where he gets eaten i love that movie i gotta say no that's that scene is the laziest writing ever in a motion picture because the writer's like i could write a speech or a shark could jump in and bite his head off at the beginning great it's great and then i wouldn't have to we we'll do we'll talk we'll spend an episode of meteors talking about shark movies because there are a whole other host of awful shark movies out there all riding the uh, tail fin rather of uh, <laughs> of uh, jaws but uh let's move on to talking about um the mandalorian we had lots of news come out in the last few weeks about the mandalorian first again i forget the actor's name but we learned that the actor do you know his name the actor that was played bo- played jango fett tamira morrison tamira morrison um we learned that he will be back in uh the mandalorian season two and this is this confirmed now because i know that the other stuff was not confirmed uh yeah there's such a fine line uh it's it's been reported i believe i don't believe it's been confirmed but i think hollywood reporter you know generally if the hollywood reporter has it it's usually pretty solid now somebody of course is going to point out something that was garbage that was in the hollywood reporter but i think usually you can count on them as a source okay so here's this confusing part so that that actor is coming in to as the voice of Oh, hang on. I don't think... there's a weird thing happening here with the armor. Yes, I can clear up your confusion very okay, easily, go but go ahead. Tell me your confusion, and then... Well, that... Timmy... Okay, there's two two pieces of news that jumped out at me. That First, that Tamir Morrison was coming back. We assumed to play Boba Fett, because he played Jango Fett, and they're all clones of Jango Fett. So if there's going to be a live-action anybody, he would also play Rex if there was a Rex. He would play anybody. That was a clone, basically. But then they say Timothy Oliphant is going to wear the armor. So why would that be the case? Well, I can actually answer this question, and I can answer it because you and I read a book we didn't enjoy very much called Star Wars Aftermath. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, in the book, do you remember the interludes? Yes. There was an interlude on Tatooine. And the interlude on Tatooine, they spoke of some armor that had been found with acid burns from the sarlacc (laughs) yeah and it was being i believe in the book it's being worn by a law enforcement person on tatooine i believe timothy oliphant will have boba fett's armor but he won't be boba fett they're gonna pull a switcheroo i see what you're saying he will be the sheriff of tatooine in the fett armor we'll think we know what's going on but then, in fact, the real Boba Fett, played by Tamira Morrison, will come for his armor. Okay, so we had a couple of... Yeah, no, that, that that seems fair. And we had a couple of hints in the first season of The Mandalorian. You mentioned, like, we talked about you can glimpse Boba Fett in the background in the in the Mandalorian kind of base or whatever they are, the hideout. Um, you also I mentioned, don't think that I was him, got, ultimately. Okay, well, that's they, they, people say that was him. Whatever. If it wasn't, it wasn't. You also got very excited about the sound of spurs at the end of one episode. Because that was him. Some, okay, that was him. Um, so that's the sound of Boba Fett's armor jingling or whatever that was. Um, and we, we do hear it, like, in, we, and we, we watched the scene over. We heard it in the scene on, on, uh, in Empire Strikes Back when we first see him. Um, and then, so that would mean that that is Timothy Oliphant's character following around Mando at this point. I believe he will be a share. Well, we're going to go back to Tatooine, which means that, uh, Amy Sedaris may be back. <laughs> we go back to Tatooine. I liked her. That was fine. I have yeah. no problem with that. And th- we killed the kid who couldn't act. So that's <laughs> good. And, uh. Um, and I think that that will be the case and maybe it'll be some kind of switcheroo. Maybe it won't be. I know that, uh, it's very difficult for them to keep this stuff under wraps and that people are starved for Star Wars information and this stuff is going to be leaked, but I really hate knowing that this is going to happen. I would much rather have been surprised by the reveal of Boba Fett in armor and that turning out to be maybe Timothy Oliphant. And then we find Tamir Morrison, Tamir Morrison coming and, and, and the, all that, if that proves to be true and i don't think you know it's a pretty solid theory then um you know it's kind of a letdown because i like to be surprised by this stuff the baby yoda thing like they were so good at keeping that a secret that just blew everybody away so why can they not keep this other stuff a secret it's my it seems complaint. like the it seems like the problem is with casting that that yeah there's a there's a leak somewhere in that system right casting. Every, every yes 
Someone in <laughs> casting is being paid good money to leak the stuff to the Hollywood Reporter. <laughs> Are they ever? They need to. They need to replace everybody in that department. I also think part of that probably has to do with celebrities now want the bragging rights well in advance of the thing being aired. And uh, I don't know if that's true. I can't see that being the case for who else has been cast in this. Well, again, not confirmed. Rosario, Rosario. Dawson. Yeah. Uh, Michael Michael Bain Bain whatever his name is from uh, from uh, Terminator and uh, and that kind of stuff. He, wasn't he cast in this? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't know as well. Oh, he's got to be a Mandalorian. But he's not. But th- those are not like big Hollywood actors that would want to brag about it necessarily. He's been kind of a character actor his whole life, and has not been in a ton of big stuff. So I don't know that he really needs the bragging rights for that. Um, yeah, maybe Timothy not. Ol- T- Timothy Oliphant would be maybe one of those because he's had a very successful career. He has a series, at least one series that that's done very well. I never did watch that show. He's at two. Um, I mean, he, he was on Deadwood, where he was a sheriff. Right, so that's where right. that casting came from. And he was on Justified, which was yeah. those were his two big ones, I think. And and Justified, he basically was playing a sheriff. He was he was like the Jim Rockford. If Jim Rockford on the Rockford Files were a sheriff, okay, he's like a little bit of that. Interesting. See, I still remember him from the movie Go. Did you ever see that movie? Oh yeah, uh, I like that uh, he movie. Was like, he, he's like the drug dealer guy, and he's like wow. this hilarious having breakfast with uh, with Joey from uh, Dawson's Creek. I can't remember her her name in real yeah. life, but yeah, at the end of that, like he was funny. He was a good he was a good character in that. That's actually I think the first time I ever saw him in anything. Um, and he's a good actor, so I mean it's good casting. But I'm, I just wish that they would keep this stuff. And it's fine. Like in the beginning, we heard things like okay. Um, Apollo Creed is in it, and um, uh, who else was announced? Werner Herzog. Nick, Nol- Nick Nolte. Like we knew the names, we didn't know the characters. Now we're hearing about the characters, and that really wouldn't matter to me if we didn't know what characters they were playing, right? It doesn't matter. You can associate any name with a show and say, "Oh, great, that person's in it. It's going to be good." But now that we know, like this person's going to play Ahsoka, this person's going to play Boba Fett, that's kind of a letdown. I just really wish I didn't know that stuff. The one thing that I that I think all Star Wars fans want is for this to work and for this to not yeah. be don't, don't turn the Mandalorian into uh, Luke Skywalker and all, and, and all the characters we've seen it should be the Mandalorian needs to be the star of the Mandalorian so, so the interesting thing is how are they going to weave all of this in I mean, I, in season one, one of the things I loved about The Mandalorian is some characters came and went pretty quick. Yeah, like one episode yeah. arc and that's it, right? Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was fine. Yeah, so I hope that's what this is. I, I don't want it to be, you know, some big finale where where, where we need everybody to come together. I kind of like the... the um, the tone, the tone that they've already set for the show, and we have no reason to believe it won't. They won't continue that tone. Yeah, I started watching the uh, the behind the scenes. Um, oh, here, okay, I haven't seen the episode three yet. So the the behind the scenes series they're doing there. The first two episodes, the one is about directing. Uh, the second one is about legacy. So how do you live up to the Star Wars legacy? And the third one here is about casting. So maybe we'll maybe we'll see the person in that who's the leak. We'll see if we can identify the leak. Have you watched it yet? I have watched part three. Uh, part three, it didn't have as quite as much good stuff as the prior two did, I would say. But it's still good. I mean, I still enjoy well, watching. I, I, I'm learning quite a bit of interesting things about it. Um, namely that uh, they're given a lot of time to uh, – what's his name? Um Dave Filoni, he, he gets a lot of, of screen time. I mean, to be fair, he's the only guy in that group who's actually worked directly with George Lucas uh, on the Clone Wars TV series for years and years. So he has, like, the most face time with George. So he's kind of got those, those great George stories that they all love to hear. Um, I really liked knowing that, uh, and again, I'm blanking on his name, but the guy who directed, the same guy who directed the episode, like, three, the episode that was, like, the uh, Jawa episode with a furry egg that was one of the best episodes and the other one was the heist episode where they go to break the guy out of the prison ship those two episodes were directed by the same guy and those are two of the best episodes in the series rick, so far, i think rick, uh, uh, rick. Fuji, fujiyama or something like that he's got kind yeah, of a yeah, yeah. japanese last name like so good i mean just a great both great episodes so he's a great uh, director to look out for um dallas dallas rick famuia 
Famuyiwa. Famuyiwa, God. But Forgive again, me, he's, but he's amazing. He's responsible yeah. for the, to those two very, very strong episodes. Uh, Dallas Bryce Howard, again, uh, coming in this as the noob. I guess she never really directed anything, but obviously uh, she wants to get into that and follow her father's footsteps and Ron Howard's footsteps, which is fine. She did a pretty good job in her episodes. The one, to be fair, the, the, I think the weakest episodes in the whole thing, just looking at who directed them, were probably Filoni's episodes. <laughs> Filoni directed the one with our favorite character with the crappy um the guy who was like the crappy character that we didn't like uh who died and he also uh who else, what else happened Ming now Wen's character died in that episode as well um so I don't I mean they're all they're all good episodes but I just think that Filoni maybe had the the weakest uh, scripts I don't know how that how that worked out he see like what I like about watching that episode I mean he seems like a humble guy who's aware of you know He's only been involved with animation up till this point, and so he seems pretty humble about his approach. Yeah, you know, so that you know, and he has a great story about when getting the job. That was yeah. a good story about how he got the job and that kind of stuff. That's great. It's very similar to like Pablo's story about how he, how he got the job at Lucasfilm. So it sounds like kind of it was kind of a um, you know similar experience. Um, but it is good to kind of get a sense of those directors, and I love seeing that they're all such big Star Wars fans. Uh, that's a huge part of this, and then so they really do want the best for the the franchise and for the series. Um, that director again, I'm blanking on her name, but the one that came from Mr. Robot, um, who's done like it's it's they they seem to have brought in a, a good mix of different people from different backgrounds, which I think is, is is really important. They've got their big budget blockbuster guys like Favreau and um taika waititi they've got people coming right from television they got people coming from star wars like that's that's filoni he's from star wars um and so they've got just a good mix of people who are kind of bringing different voices to it and they all seem to be communicating really well that's what i got out of that whole thing is that they all seem to be really like on the same page and talking to each other about what to do and keep it consistent which is something you probably don't get a lot on a tv series i don't know maybe it's something that's really like that's really the showrunner's job right that's favreau's job is to keep it all connected um, and so when you've got a good showrunner like that, and a good example is obviously Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul with, with uh, Bid Skill again, or, I mean, if you could, well, no, I wouldn't say, well, Damon Lindelof is, is another one of those guys that does a good job of that on the shows he's worked on. Um, so if they can keep that going, like, I think the big warning sign is if, like, Favreau moves on to do something else, I think that's going to be the big, uh-oh, what are we going to oh. do now kind of thing. Well, oh, and by the way, it's, her name is Deborah Chow. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. She done again. She done Mr. Robot, and that's a really good series as well. So she's done some great, some great stuff. But the way and she's done yeah. a lot of the way the whole the way the whole season unfolded was pretty much the whole time I was worried they were going to do something stupid and wreck it, and they did it, <laughs> and they did no. it, and that's why even though some of the stuff, the casting stuff, I'm with you. I'd rather not know that stuff. But what? But basically, I think they've earned our trust. I think I think Star Wars fans yeah. should trust them until we have evidence to the contrary, which I hope we don't. But I I think we can. I think we can based on season one. It was just so. I want to watch it again, actually. And, I, and we all have lots of time. <laughs> and I think I think that is the ultimate goal of this series is to get us all excited about watching the first season again and then gearing up for the uh, second season coming in the fall. Um, it's great that they're able to keep that on schedule given all the COVID-19 stuff. So we don't have to worry about that being delayed. Um, I'm trying to think what else uh, I, th I thought about that. Again, I haven't seen the third one yet, but, uh, it's, it's been a fun watch for sure. Did you, um, there is one episode and I'm getting, I'm getting my documentary episodes mixed up, but did you watch the one where Dave Filoni talks about what the lightsaber battle in the Phantom Menace means? To him? Yeah, that was in episode two. Okay. Yes. Well, he, okay, this is him, like, is this according to him or is this something that George Lucas told him? I or think is this, this is his, his this, this is his interpretation of what, of why that lightsaber battle is so important. And, uh, okay. and so, I mean, and you can see the directors around the table are, are like, wow, look at this guy go. Like, look, <laughs> they're like, he certainly, thought of, he certainly thought about this more than anybody yes, else thought about that's this. That's right. You know more than Pablo. <laughs> well, Pablo wasn't Pablo wasn't working there yet for Phantom Menace. Um, but I would say that, and I, I I get what he's saying. So just in case anybody hasn't seen it, he basically says that it's because Qui Gon is fighting for 
um, for Anakin because he knows that he can't leave Anakin alone because the um, he believes Anakin is the chosen one and nobody else will guide him the way he could. Um, and he knows that the Jedi Council is corrupt and he doesn't trust the Jedi Council anymore. Um, and then he ends up, of course, entrusting him to Obi-Wan. Um, and th so there's that whole thing going on. He needs to be the father figure to Anakin, whereas Obi-Wan is never a father figure. Obi-Wan is a brother and or friend. He never is. He never does become a father figure to, to Anakin, which is, which is true. Um, I, I don't know. I, the thing is that movie does such a poor job of building the relationship between Anakin and, and Qui-Gon that I don't buy it in the moment. Right, like I think that's supposed to be that is supposed to be what it is, but I just think that film does a does a poor job of, of conveying that relationship between the the characters. Um, so, yeah, and he, he talks about like Obi Wan's you know snark and his whole like oh another useless life form and all this other crap. Like Obi Wan's a bit of an asshole in that film, and that's you know kind of rightly so because he's very um, jealous and and impulsive and uh, doesn't like that his his master's taken on a new kind of pad padawan. Um, but I certainly like, I mean, it is a great lightsaber battle on its own. It doesn't need all that backstory to make it a great lightsaber battle. It's the best lightsaber battle of all the prequels. Like out of all three films, that's the best one. The one with, with Dooku is kind of lame in my opinion. And the one, certainly the one between, um, Anakin and Obi-Wan in the third film is good and has more meaning. Um, but you know, it was just basically, I've got, I've got the higher ground and that was pretty much that. Um, one other thing he said during that interview that I thought was interesting that he said George Lucas made me bring back Darth Maul. That's that's what he said, right? I think he did say made. Did he say made me? Yeah, before George made me bring him back, ah. he says that. So I'm like, oh, so was that George Lucas's idea to bring back Darth Maul? Wow, it seems like a weird thing. Why would he kill him off if he did, if he wanted to bring him back? I, I didn't I didn't notice that the way he said that, but that's interesting. Yeah, it's just like. Um, and that's, again, those are the details that they kind of they gloss over. Like, how did he come back? How did he get his legs? We don't know. Um, but those are kind of the kind of things that they don't worry about so much in, in Star Wars. That, those are the kinds of things that Irvin Kirshner was worrying about in, in uh, Empire Strikes Back. And maybe that's what makes Empire Strikes Back such a good film is because he was thinking of those details. Yeah, he wanted everything to make perfect sense. Like, to right. surprise people, but to still make perfect sense, which is always yeah. the the hard thing to do but i actually <laughs> i was thinking about it and in the prequels if darth maul would not have been cut in half or if he would have been and then come back in the prequels it might have been far more interesting to kind of see maul and um darth tyrannus what, what the f was that like christopher oh christopher lee he was dooku christopher lee dooku i couldn't think of, i was like ah i can't think couldn't think of his name um Dooku and Maul could have fought it out to be the apprentice of Palpatine, or maybe um, Anakin becomes the apprentice, Darth Vader, and then the other two are are kind of like let's team up and let's let's yeah. like there there could have been something interesting that you could have made out of that. I've, I've referred to the series before. There is a YouTube series called "What If Star What If Episodes One, Two, Three Were Good." And so this guy actually <laughs> makes a series of, like, here's how to rewrite these scripts and make them good movies. And he does a really good job with it. And he works in, he, he doesn't kill Darth Maul at the end of the first movie. He works in um, um, Owen Lars in, in a much, much better way so that Owen Lars and Obi-Wan are friends. Um, in that, they, like, works that character. So he's not just a guy that gets the baby at the end of the movies. He's actually part of that that whole thing. So that was really interesting. And so that's a good thing to watch if you've never seen. Just for any listeners who haven't seen it, it's a good way to kind of take a look at these films and see what if what if we could do this in a different way. Um, obviously, we can't do that now, but um, I, I'm glad they brought back Darth Maul. I just think it's interesting that Lucas maybe he regretted it. Maybe he wished that he had not killed him off at the end of the first movie, but it was too late at that point. The movies were done. They were developing this animated series. They said, "Oh, well, now is my chance to bring him back." It's animated. You know, I don't know that George Lucas ever felt like it was... I, obviously, it is canon and it's considered canon now. But I, I certainly think that he probably had an idea that it was not, like, as real as the real-life movies, right? The animations were... It was for kids. From Kenner's Star Wars collection comes the Stormtrooper, the Sand People, and all 20 action figures, including new Hammerhead, Snaggletooth, and more, each sold separately. And now, Boba Fett, Star Wars villain with his laser rifle. 
Boba Fett is not yet available in stores, but you can get him free with four proofs of purchase from any Star Wars action figures. Details on specially marked packs at participating stores. Offer ends May 31st. Star Wars action figures sold separately from Kenner. So we've been having, uh, behind the scenes, we've been having a nightmare of a problem with our audio today, with my audio specifically. I have no idea what the hell's going on, um, but I'm going to try and figure it out. So let's wrap up this podcast before we uh, before we lose it all together. Is there anything else you want to talk about as far as Star Wars news this week? I've been noticing, okay, we can't go to stores anymore. So I know, I just noticed that. No, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> so, so um, one of the things that I've noticed that is definitely... That appear the what's happened in the collect Star Wars collectible circles these days um, is suddenly it's the brand it's the rise of the mail order Star Wars figure from wherever from wherever you can get it, including Amazon, which sometimes gets this stuff and sometimes doesn't. Um, but it's become far more of an online game for collectors than than just like visiting the local Toys R Us used to be. Okay, so I think that. Um, I, I've noticed that that's had an impact. And then there's some people who have just taken the opportunity to stop collecting, stop spending money. I guess that's a good excuse, right? Especially if you've already dropped thousands of dollars on a collection. You're like, oh, this is as good as time as I need to stop. Um, it's funny because that kind of reminds me of the old, like the original, you know, mail order um, things they used to do with the first first figures, right? Well, they give, they give you a card and then you, <laughs> you sent away for the... I remember I didn't do this with Star Wars, but I did this with G.I. Joe. There was a couple of figures you had to send away for, uh, collect the proof of purchase from the G.I. Joe figures and send away for like the Cobra Commander with the hood and stuff like that. So that was a big, big part of my childhood was sending away for those things. It was very, very cool when they came in the mail. Um, so has it become more of a challenge? Have you continued to collect or are you still? I have not been to a store. The other day, uh, oh, oh, now these days the grocery store consists of People going into the grocery store and then everybody else who has to wait in the car. Have you noticed that? No. Are we not doing the lineup anymore? Is that is that the new thing? They are, but you're only allowed one family member at a time. Oh yes, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I knew that. So I don't bring. No, I don't bring my kids anywhere with me when right. I go to the store. So I'm the guy. Here. I'm the guy waiting in the car. That's me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sometimes awkwardly looking at some other guy sitting across from me in his car, staring straight ahead. When you're parked nose to nose. Right, right. <laughs> so so the other day I was in the Sobeys parking lot. And I was like, I am going to GameStop. And I'm going to see what they have. Because they were open. Remember, famously, they were open even after right. the pandemic. Yeah, they were not making people social distance when they lined up for Animal Crossing. Yeah, and they're like, you're an essential service. And by that, I mean a, mi- <laughs> a minimum, age, minimum wage worker who needs to sell this game that's being released tomorrow. Right, right. right. So they made everybody. So I was like, surely that'll be open. And I walked over there and it was like, closed? No, not open. Closed. I guess now they, uh, they're they erring on the side of don't open at this point. And so I have yet to be at a place that that has any form of that kind of collectible in it. So I don't even know what's out there. Like, it's the 40th anniversary Empire Toys all came out this week. It'd be kind of cool to see those in person. Uh, so you're not buying anything online? You're not going to Amazon? It's so much work. Yeah, and you're right about the delivery. Like it sometimes, I find with Amazon because we're in Canada, it's like, oh no, this doesn't deliver to you. Oh, it's gonna take five weeks to get there or something stupid like that. And that's I just don't have time for that. So um, I have been ordering more from Amazon than I ever have before. But it's again only if I can get it here in a reasonable amount of time. If I can't, then I'm not gonna bother with it. Um, I did see somebody posting in one of the Facebook groups I'm part of on Facebook. Uh, I just said that. Uh, one of the groups I'm part of on Facebook, I saw somebody posting they received their Baby Yoda Black Series figure. And so the Baby Yoda comes with the uh, a knob that he plays with. You know, the knob for the, <laughs> you know, the knob. control lever. He comes with a frog. He comes with I, a knob. Uh, Comes presumably he comes with a frog that he eats because that's what he does in the show. He eats the frog, um, but it's a very very small. And it, it's like I wonder, like they must love it when there's a figure like that because the cost of making that is so much less than making a regular sized black figure because it's like to scale, right? Now I wonder if does that mean it's cheaper? Is that a cheaper figure because it's less plastic involved, or how does that work? I know Probably that the bigger ones are more expensive. One. The that Jabba the Hut, the Jabba the Hut you have is more expensive because it's a bigger figure and same with like i've seen like 
the black figure. Um, I think Toys R Us had a Tie Fighter at one point. It was a it was a scale Tie Fighter for those. It was huge. I have that scale. one. You do okay. Yeah, it's giant. Yeah, it's giant. It's a monster. It's, it's yeah, super expensive. Um, and so that kind of stuff, like I get it, but I don't think they're they're lowering the price just because it's a little bit smaller of a figure. Like Baby Yoda is pretty small, right? Yeah, right? I, I don't think so. And I, I uh, the other day I uh, posted on Instagram the picture of the two Porg, the Star Wars Black, probably the smallest figure. And I remember going, "Oh, this is kind of cool." And but I, whatever the price reduction was, it was the cost was more than you would imagine for the Porg, two, just a Porg, yes, or two Porgs. Two, what comes two, in the box? Two little Porgs, and they're little. See, that's you got to make that a set with like a Chewbacca with a barbecue porg leg or something like that. Like that's what I would want to see out of that. Right? Sure, sure, it's another Chewbacca figure, which I'm sure you already have, and there are multiple versions of Chewbacca out there. But at least you would get one with him, and you could put a little little drumstick in his hand and have the porgs look. Yeah. You could recreate that scene from the movie, which is a great scene. So that's that's what I would want in that kind of a figure is the uh, the ability to recreate scenes from whatever it is. And I know that you keep them in the box. You keep your figures in the box, or do you take them out? Yeah, well, ninety percent of them are in the box, oh. but uh, I've got some older ones that are not. Right, but but I think a lot of people there's actually I've, I've learned that there are two schools of thought of this. There are people who are ultimately will not. They don't care about the box. They want to take the figure out and enjoy the articulation and the all the other stuff and posing them and all. There's a whole thing. I've just been following all this stuff recently, um, and so they take it out and they they pose it and they you know put different scenarios. <laughs> Again, this is going back to the toy Gal- toy galaxy YouTube channel. This guy does all this stuff on his Instagram. He'll he'll whenever he gets a new figure, he takes it out and he poses it in his little special light box and takes photos of it. It's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I I, I mean. You can, I'll, I'll take a look. I'll go to, I'm going to go to Walmart this weekend. I have a couple things I have to get at Walmart. So I'll be going to stand in line for an hour before I get in there. And uh, actually I have a tip for anybody who wants to know. You show up there just before eight o'clock. So they have like seven to eight is supposed to be for seniors. <laughs> See, this is what I did last time. I showed up at 7.55 a.m. I thought they opened at eight o'clock. The website said eight o'clock. So I'm like, okay, I'll show up there just before eight. And I show up there, and they've been open, and there's seniors throughout the store, and I just walked in. There was no lineup. I just walked right in. Nobody stopped me. I'm clearly not a senior citizen, uh, and I just was able to go do my stuff. So I'll try that again tomorrow when I go to Walmart, and I'll take a swing by the toy department and see if there's anything there. But I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. There's like, they have, they have more important things to ship right now than Star Wars toys, and I don't think that a lot of people are buying right now in in store like that. You know, you go to the store for essentials, you go there for the things you need, and you leave, and that's it. There's no... There's no window shopping or, or browsing, so to speak, as far as that kind of no, stuff. No, there's goes. and there's there's no joy in going shopping anywhere. No, no, it's no. it's become just a it's worse. You know, like uh, going to the store is now like what used to be air travel used to be like basically, yeah, yes. and now air travel's worse. Well, air travel's air travel's non-existent at this point, but uh, yeah, you're right. And it may it may be changed. I don't know if it's going to be changed forever, but certainly there's going to be a big. It's not going to be going back to normal anytime soon. So. That's unfortunate, but uh, anyway, keep an eye on it. Let us know if you see anything, and we'll uh, we'll check back in in a future episode. That's going to do it for this episode of the Star Wars Nerds. I'm Dan Vadabonker. I'm Kenton Larson. Don't let the force hit you on the ass. This is a better word. Where did you dig up that old fossil?